You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. Now we're going to dive into God's Word. And I actually have 30 minutes. I was actually expecting to have less time than this, so I can really go for it this morning. With everything going on this morning, I was just kind of in my mind preparing. I, I, Lord, I might have to just abbreviate a message, but we're going we're gonna to go for it. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to the end, to Revelation chapter 21. That's right, Revelation chapter 21. We're going to the end of the story. I'm just going to pray this morning as we, we kick off this series, The Presence. I'm excited about what God's going to stir in our hearts. This mess, this this series of messages I'm praying will draw each and every person into deeper intimacy with Jesus. Exactly what Joe is talking about, being present with God in a moment in time, the presence. I'm going to pray for us as we dive into God's word. Lord, it is so good just to be with you. And then to be with church family while we're with you, it's, it's just, it's too good. Um, It's just a a taste of heaven, and we thank you for that. I pray in these next few moments, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts, that you would be made real in this place. So the presence of God is, it's that dominant reality of you in our midst, and I pray that you'd help us grow in that awareness. pray as the word word of God is opened, and it's declared, and it's read, that, Lord, it would just uh, jump off the pages, and it would uh, jump into our hearts, and change the way we see the world around us and change the way we see people around us. I pray in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. So the presence of God, that grouping of words, that phrase, is something we talk a lot about here at LifePoint Church. If you've been around uh, here at all, you've heard us talk about the presence of God, and I never want any phrase that we say to just be a catchphrase or, or something that flies over people's heads. And so I felt compelled in my heart to spend several weeks talking about the, this central uh, principle throughout Scripture of the presence of God. It's not just a catchphrase that we, we picked up somewhere. The presence of God is central to the gospel. And, uh, and we're going to unpack that through Scripture in the next number of weeks. And I'm praying that it will allow you to be drawn into deeper intimacy with Jesus each and every day. We just came out of a series called Lifestyle Christianity. And so I feel like this this series just is further equipping us to take God out of the compartments of our lives and allowing him to immerse everything that we do in the kingdom of God and the love of Jesus and the good news of Jesus. So here's Revelation chapter 21. Do you guys know you're in the midst of God's redemptive story right now? Do you guys know that? This is a historical book, meaning that it was written 2,000 years ago. But here we see God's redemptive story, the part of it that has not, not yet happened. It is yet to come, which is really, really good news. We have a future hope. We experience so much right now, but it's just a foretaste. It's just a taste of what is to come. So let's read this Revelation chapter 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, 
Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You and I, in Christ, we have a future hope of a day coming. And this gives you a glimpse of what you were created for. What sets you apart from the rest of creation. He created you to dwell with him. And this is why he would send heaven's very best to buy you back, to call you a son or a daughter. Is for what? That you might dwell with him. That, you might, that we might be his people. It's not just a ticket into a generic place. You're just going to be a number amongst the masses. It's that he might dwell amongst them. This can be a confusing concept. The fact that God is omnipresent is a theological term meaning he's everywhere at the same time. He cannot be confined to time or space. But yet God can be the, the ultimate reality. We can be fully aware of God's dominance and his reality in a place. And that's what we have a future expectancy of. We are overwhelmed with who God is so much that there's no pain, there's no crying, there's no tears, there's no death. So I want to contrast that then with the beginning of the story. So you can flip all the way to the other side of your Bible to Genesis chapter 3. Because we see the presence of God here at the very beginning as well. So I'm saying from beginning to end, this theme is, is, is central to God's redemptive story. We see in Genesis chapter 3, Right after Adam and Eve willfully choose to disobey God and eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, what'd they do? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What a peculiar phrase. That they would hide themselves from the presence of God. He is everywhere at the same time. You know you can't hide from God. You cannot hide from God. But here we have this picture of the omnipresent God of the universe who cannot be confined to time or space. He's walking through the garden in the cool of the morning. You know, that's what he created us for, to walk with him, to be in a relationship with him. He walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. That's what he intended for us. But here we see Adam and Eve bucking their god uh, intended design, and they're hiding from the presence of God. So in Revelation 21, we saw what it's like when we would live with an awareness of the presence of God in the ultimate sense. No pain, no crying, no tears, no mourning, no death. Here we see Adam and Eve fleeing from the presence of God. And that, that starts a, 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 a really a ripple effect of repercussions when we run from the presence of God, when we try to live outside of an awareness of his reality. It's littered with shame, with fear, with doubt, with lies, with blaming. And obviously, that leads us into the curse, which then opened up the floodgates of all the, reper all the repercussions of living outside of the presence of God. But it all started with this place. Yes, disobedience and then them running from the presence of God. But keep unpacking this. This is what Dr. Greg Boyd said in his book, uh, Present Perfect. He says, to forget that God is present in any given moment is to forget the most important aspect of that moment. 
And he actually talks about how the greatest um, really truth about our existence as humans is this present moment. You know, you can't do anything about your past. It's done. It's in the books. And the future is completely contingent on this present moment. Therefore, what we do with the here and the now, to be aware of who God is and his reality in a moment is the most important thing about our existence as humans. This is what Brother Lawrence, who's an 18th century monk, this is what he said. Hope this gets in your soul. So begin. Make that resolution now. Be daring. None of us have a long time to live. What years we have, let us live them with God. He says that in his book, Practicing the Presence of God. Now is the time. Now, today, is the time to grow in your awareness of the presence of God. So this is my definition of the presence of God. As we kind of unpack this over the next few weeks, this is the definition I'm, I'm going from. This is Drew's definition from Scripture. The presence of God is the dominating reality of the rule of Jesus in a person or a place. It's the dominating reality of the rule of Jesus in a person or a place. We cannot personally affect whether God, whether God is in charge or not. His authority is final. We have no say in that. But the presence of God is a, is a moment in time when you are utterly overwhelmed and aware of his rule and his reign in a place or upon your life. That's where the presence of God is. And so we see that in Revelation and Genesis, the, the contrasting difference between living with this ultimate, this sense of the ultimate reality of who God is in heaven in its final sense, in its ultimate sense, where there's no pain, there's no tears, there's no mourning, there's no death, there's no corruption, there's no lying, there's no doubt, there's no fears, as opposed to in Genesis, where they're running from the presence of God, they're fleeing from the presence of God. They're trying to actually, and maybe you've done this yourself, you want to almost ignore the fact that God is real. You want to, you want to run from it. Nothing removes God from his throne. We cannot do that. We don't have that power. But when we run from the presence of God, we're trying to run from that reality. We're trying to run from that being a dominant reality that impacts anything in our lives. Are you tracking with me? And so my prayer for us as a church in this, over these next few weeks is for us to grow in our awareness of this reality that God is real and he is with you in a moment. And as you do that, I'm confident that you'll encounter Jesus for who he is as Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. So in this present moment, you experience him for who he is and you realize, oh, he's the beginning and the end. I don't need to fret about my past. I don't need to fret about my future. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And as you grow in your awareness of the reality of God in a given moment or given place, you're overwhelmed with the fact that he is the author and the perfecter of your faith. So you don't have to keep, keep striving. You don't have to keep just trying to muster up some emotional sense of devotion to the Lord. You can surrender to him as your author and the perfecter of your faith. It was his idea in the first place. He's writing the story of your life. And you can just be overwhelmed with this sense that, wow, he is the perfecter of my faith. I'm not the perfecter of my faith. You can surrender your perfectionism. You'll encounter Jesus as the immovable chief cornerstone. He is constant. He's unchanging. There's no shadow in him. He can be fully relied upon. 
He's immovable. You'll encounter Jesus as your deliverer and your redeemer, and you'll actually believe it at that moment. When you, when you experience him as, as you, the, the ultimate reality in a moment, your forgetfulness of what he's done in your past comes flooding back to you. These memories of all that he's done for you, that he is redeemer, that he is rescuer, that he is deliverer. And the list goes on and on and on. I know I'm kind of making you work this morning, but now turn to Exodus 25. So I'll just kind of give you a preview of where we're going. It's not just Genesis and Revelation that talk about this this idea of God dwelling with us, of us dwelling with God, of of being uh, fully aware of God's reality in a moment or in a place. This is now littered throughout the redemptive story of God that he's writing for humanity. He's trying to take us somewhere. You want to know what he's created for, for uh, created you for? Just look at Revelation. He's created you to dwell with him. But that doesn't just come out of nowhere. It does not come out of left field. Here we see in the redemptive story, so obviously God started the, the nation of Israel through a man named Abraham. They ended up landing in slavery in Egypt. I'm abbreviating the story. And um, 400 plus years there, God delivers them from slavery in Egypt. And now they are in the wilderness. And it's here in the wilderness that God is revealing himself to them. It's Exodus 25. God begins to reveal his heart to dwell with them. And he does does it by instructing them to create a space, a set-apart space. Because it's when we are... When, when God is set apart to us, that, he is, that we are fully aware of who he is, that he is unlike anything that we are experiencing, unlike any circumstances that we find ourselves in, he is completely set apart. So he goes through a lot of detail here to lay out the, um, the specifications for the Ark of the Covenant, this box that would, that would keep certain um, uh, objects and items that would remind them of their history and where they've been. He goes to great detail to give specifications for the, the tabernacle or the, or the tent of meeting, in great detail to talk about the duties of the priests. All of that is to set apart God as ultimate, as, as uniquely different than anything else. I, I'm good, actually. I don't, I don't need anything. You guys are amazing, but I, I'm good. I'm literally just going to read from Scripture here and share some testimony. So Exodus 25, this is what it says. It says, the Lord God said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contributions for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamp, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for the setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. And we, we do take up offerings here uh, on a weekly basis and sometimes more often. But I, I can pretty much guarantee that I'm not going to be taking up any offerings for ram skins or goat skins um, or goat's hair. So just FYI. Um, but you can see here in verse 8, his intention. He's having them go to such great length and honestly even sacrifice. Not even, not out of, not out of obligation, but he says, as you feel compelled, give, contribute to this cause. 
And he has a purpose behind it. It's not just to busy themselves with something. He says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. He's bringing them somewhere. He wants to reveal himself to them as the personal God. The God that can actually come and dwell in their midst. And the people of Israel were familiar with this. They saw glimpses of this. It was this pillar of cloud, this pillar of fire that led them out of Egypt. They saw this manifestation of the presence of God. Where God was set apart and it was, it was, it was uh, clear before their eyes. There was no question about it that God was real. They saw this pillar of cloud that led them out of Egypt. God was revealing himself to them as the God that is real and wants to dwell in their midst. So then fast forward. So then they, he begins to talk about in great length the, uh, the details of the Ark of the Covenant. Turn to Exodus 29 then. The very end of Exodus 29. Verses 45 and 46, so right after he gets done sharing the, the specifications for the priests, priestly garments and the priestly duties, he says, and this is his intention in it all. This is why he's, he's doing what he's doing and he's revealing what he's revealing to Moses. Because I will dwell among the people of Israel and I will be their God. It sounds very much like Revelation, doesn't it? I will be their God. I will dwell in their midst. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them, that I am the Lord their God. Because I, I would say one of the, the key aspects of living with an awareness of the presence of God is shedding our forgetfulness. And the, the children of Israel are just like we are. And even though they saw God move in mighty ways before their eyes, and even though they saw physically with their eyes this pillar of cloud and this pillar of fire uh, leading them through the wilderness, still their hearts grew forgetful. And in our coming and our going, how easy is it to grow or to really be like Adam and Eve and kind of run from the presence of God where we're, 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 we're running from this fact that God is real, that he desires communion with you and desires relationship with you and he cares about the inner workings of your life. He cares about the comings and goings of your life. That's what it was like for the children of Israel. And that was his desire, his intent in going to all these great lengths was to reveal himself as the God that wants to dwell with his people. And over the next number of weeks, we're going we're gonna to go through all these different accounts in the Old Testament of God bringing us to this final place in Revelation of, of a God who comes and he dwells in, his, in our midst. I have a vision for our church, for this place to be a place that's so richly... Uh, attuned and aware to the reality of the presence of God. With our volunteers, we, even this morning, but uh, on, a, on a regular basis, we highlight a value that we have with our volunteers. The presence of God changes everything. The presence of God changes everything. And we say that not just because it sounds cool, because it's true. When people walk into a building or into a place, when kids walk into a classroom, and all of a sudden, there's this awareness that God is not some distant entity that spoke things into being a millennia ago, but instead he is here and he's now, that he sees us. What happens? There's this 
overwhelming sense of his peace and his love and his mercy, all of a sudden people begin to hear that God is calling them. Their heavenly Father begins to call people to himself. That's why we are so uh, eager and hungry and passionate about fostering a place where the presence of God is real. That's not some, um, some fabricated atmospheric thing, trick that we do when we talk about the presence of God. It is an utter sense of the reality of God, that people are just aware of it. There's, there's no question about it, that God is real and in our midst. So I'm going to actually ask Ryan Vogler, where is Ryan? Ryan Vogler, you're hiding in the back, dude. Hey, come on up here. I want Ryan Vogler to share for a moment. I had, I'd asked him to share his testimony. I heard him share this testimony at a testify night at Chi Alpha a few weeks ago, and I, um, I've known Ryan now for a year and a half, and I, I knew him before Christ, and uh, he just kept coming back to Chi Alpha week after week, but he was a shell of a person. Um, and I've just seen, I've seen God do so much in his life, and all I can contribute it to is the presence of God. A person is living just an existence on this planet, and then they encounter the presence of God, and everything changes. So would you mind sharing? I am the prodigal son. I was born, dedicated, baptized, confirmed, the whole nine yards into the Lutheran church. At church, things appeared good. At home was a different story. My dad was violent, and my mom, not really knowing what she could do, did nothing. At the age of three, my sister came into the world, and things got better for a time. But then something changed, and the bruises returned. My mom called it abuse, my dad called it discipline. I didn't know what to call it, but I knew what I felt, unwanted, unwelcome, that I was a problem child, that I wasn't good enough, basically that I couldn't be loved. I don't remember how, but eventually the cops got involved and took away my dad. But after a little while, he came back and I was taken away into foster care. That was before my seventh year. My sister stayed at home though. So for the next seven years, I went through 11 failed placements. Two of those families got me twice. I was even put back in the home of my dad and then my mom both failed. Each time I was removed, those thoughts, feelings, and fears were reinforced. One of the things my mother wanted for me was to be confirmed in the Lutheran Church. So at the age of 12, I was confirmed and then walked away from all that I thought was God, for I felt that he had abandoned me long before then. The summer after my 13th birthday, I was finally placed in a home that didn't give up on me, despite my best attempts. I didn't have a choice in the matter, so I went to the Catholic Church with them for the next five years. In school, Cody Nolan was the only one who never treated me anything less than one of his best friends, and we're still in contact today. After graduating, I moved back in with my mom, and I tried going to college, even though I didn't want to at the time. I only made it until Thanksgiving still avoiding anything to do with God, and for the next year, pondering if everyone's life would be better off without me in it. There was still a lot of resentment and hatred between my divorced parents, and it's still lesser there, but now still here. 
it's lesser now, but still here today. In August of 2016, I took an opportunity to move out of my mom's house and find myself in Ames with two female roommates. One has a boyfriend that had a poor influence on me, and the other is Ashley. She starts going to Chi Alpha and LifePoint and asks me to come too, but I'm still avoiding God in the forms I understood or thought I did. Before Thanksgiving 2016 rolls around, she brings a young woman back after a small group by the name of Kendria Peterson, and I'm only half listening as she talks about what they do because my other roommate asks, until she mentioned spending time soaking in the Holy Spirit. And she explained to me what she meant. Little did I know at the time, but that was the beginning of my return journey home to the Father. I finally decided in February of 2017 it was time to check out Chi Alpha with no intention of going again after. In April 2017, I went to Life Point Church for the first time and surrendered my life to Jesus after encountering my father in that moment. He said so much, but I only understood a little. You were a fighter, but you no longer need to fight alone. Call on me, son, and I will fight for you. In August of 2017, I chose to profess my faith and new life in Christ through water baptism in front of my new family. There have been many ups and downs along the way. And now, almost a year after water baptism, I truly believe that I have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, for I have an intimate prayer language for which to converse with God. But that's still only the beginning. So if there is anything I want to be taken away from my story is that you are loved, wanted, and welcome by God in us, even if you don't feel it to be that way. Thankfully, the truth is, God will always be with you. You are never too far gone to come home, for his grace is amazing. And this came to me this morning, but I don't think it's bad to share. And if I may be so bold, God was here in the beginning. He was here yesterday. He is here today. He'll be here tomorrow. So why wouldn't he be with us for all eternity? Thank you, Ryan. The only explanation for someone so hurt and beat up by the world and zero sense of self or um, any self-esteem is an encounter with the presence of God. Because then it's before our Creator that we, we, we realize our value in His eyes, that He would give heaven's very best for us, that He actually wants to be with us. Actually, I actually had a complex growing up. I was a really, really shy kid. Um... I would go entire days without talking to another human being. Something happened to me actually when I was really, really young, like first or second grade, where I invited a, a number of friends from school to my golden birthday. It's a big deal, you know, a golden birthday. And every single one of them rejected me. And it did something to me, honestly. I'm just, I'm having a counseling session with you all right now, so. <laughs> but I started to have this complex that no one wanted to spend time with me. No one wanted to be my friend. So I just kind of hunkered down with my family. And I would go entire days without talking to, an enti- to, to another human being in school and stuff. It was finally in middle school, and my dad said, we were on a drive, and I remember the, the place and where we were going. 
Um, and my dad had this conversation with me because I wanted to change schools to go to, go to school with my future wife. And, uh, and my, my dad said, if I send you to this school, I want you to promise me that you'll make friends. And, and I'm glad he challenged me because then I began to step out of my comfort zone and began to, to make friends. And now I talk to people. Um, <laughs> but I would say, before the God of the universe, I would say sometimes we begin to believe the lie that he wants nothing to do with us. That we would have a hard time wrapping our minds around, why me? Like, why would God want to come and spend time with me? But that's the thing throughout scripture that we saw this morning and we'll continue to see over the next few weeks, how God wants to dwell with us, not because of what we've done, because what he's created us to be, he sees what we were created for. He sees it and he sent heaven's very best to give us an opportunity to step into it. And I so desire this place to be a place where the presence of God is so rich and, and not just in this building, but in our life groups, in our homes, in our family lives, our conversations around, around the table and our workplaces, that we'd be people of the presence of God. A people so inundated with the lies of the enemy, with hurts and shame and doubt and fear, they would have an encounter with the presence of God and all that changes. All of a sudden they realize that God is real and not only is he real, but he wants a relationship with them. And that's something even for ourselves that we're all on a journey of growing in an awareness of that reality. God wants a relationship with you. If you can experience that moment by moment, I mean, it's the greatest pursuit of our lives to live with an unending awareness of God's reality in a given moment every single day, because I know the way I am. I may say that in a moment, then minutes later, I'm, I'm living as though he's not real, as though his love is not adamant about me. I want us to respond. If everyone just stand in this place, I'd ask them to stand. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.